Right, so we are starting a series, a six-part called Hidden Heroes. It's called Hidden Heroes, stories of transformation from those outside the spotlight. And what we want to take some time over, we've been talking about being people who bring transformation in Harare and beyond, but I don't know about um, you, but so often I look at the people in history who've made huge impacts. So maybe that's Billy Graham or Mother Teresa or Amy Carmichael or Mother Teresa. Um, and if we look in the Bible times, hey? Was it right? Did I say Mother Teresa twice? Well, guys, at least I didn't mean that she was someone else, like Noah and Moses a few weeks ago. <laughs> they actually both went into the ark. If any of you are wondering and visiting the Bible, no joke. <laughs> Other heroes of the faith uh, in the Bible, like Joshua, Moses, Esther, Paul, I look at these sort of people and I go, well, Lord, um, I I'm not one of those people, and I'm probably going to live my whole life and be Joe Average in terms of if you look at the global scale. And I thought, actually, there's so many people in the Bible who were exactly like that. They brought transformation, but they were very much out of the spotlight. They were the ones who you could almost miss in the fabric of the Bible, but without their work and their lives and them honoring Jesus in the thing that he called them to do, the story of scripture and the story of our lives would look very different. So we're going to spend some, um, a few weeks looking at characters in the Bible, characters outside of the Bible who looked a bit similar to that. And I hope that our dream for it is that you and I would get to the end of six weeks and go, well, actually, I have a specific purpose that God has for me to do on earth. It may not be up front, although it might be. It might be in an area that I hadn't expected. It might be doing something that majority of the people around me will never, ever know that I'm doing but I'm fulfilling God's call in my life. I'm bringing a transformation where he's calling me to and I'm fulfilling the life of purpose that he's brought me into. So each one of us have that and we're very excited as we dive into this because God does have specific roles for each of us. They're all focused on seeing the world come to Christ, but our roles will be unique. What God has called you to, no one else can achieve. What he's called someone else to, don't try and replicate what they're doing. Don't try and be them because you're going to get angry, you're going to get frustrated, and you won't fulfill what God's asked you to do. They may be hugely, hugely visible or they might not be noticed by many at all. But if you're faithful to where God leads you, you will live a life of purpose, you will live a life of joy, and you will live a life of eternal reward. So if you're exploring faith today, maybe you visited for the first time, maybe you're not sure where you stand with faith, maybe you're not sure where you stand with Jesus Christ. As we look into this biblical passage, as we look into the story, I'm trusting that God speaks to you. And I know that as you come, um, there's an amazing passage in the Bible which says, when you seek me with all my heart, with all your heart, you'll find me. And I know if you're here today and you're exploring who God is, I know that he's going to show himself to you. So... We're going to dive into an interesting character in the Bible, probably more well-known out of the not well-known ones. But there are many in society who it seems that their key role is to make someone else look great. Think about golf caddies, right? And those guys are quite good golfers in their own right. But what do they do? They obviously carry the clubs around while the pro just straps along admiring the scenery. They uh, know exactly how far his club can hit. They have their markers. They know exactly how far it is to the pin. They give advice and they give wisdom on what should happen when they're on the green. And they obviously have a good idea of 
how the ball's gonna roll on the surface, and they'll give advice in that. They're also a source of encouragement, so maybe it's been a terrible, shot three double bogeys, and uh, the, the caddy will obviously come alongside and be like, it's okay, I'm not gonna make any money, neither are you this tournament, maybe next. <laughs> We're not exactly sure what they say, but they're a source of encouragement, the ones who are long-standing. But the bottom line is, is you don't very often see them standing with the, with the pro golfer holding the trophy together. We won the trophy, isn't this amazing? They're an integral part to him succeeding, but actually you don't really see them. Sometimes they get a mention, but not often. But without them, I don't think many of the top golfers would be where they are. They're the unsung heroes and they fulfill their role. And when they do that to the best of their ability, in that role that God's given them, they allow someone else to thrive, but they're never in the spotlight. Think of co-drivers for rally drivers, or maybe even uh, if you look at the Tour de France, if any of you watch it, I mean, we never really know. They're probably all taking steroids. But for the ones that aren't, you have sort of the teams there, and you've got a team of a number of riders, and their sole purpose is to help the key rider succeed. They'll take the brunt of the wind, they'll, they'll, they'll do the climb stuff and give them an easier stage. They'll do everything in their power over the period of the race to make one person in the team succeed. You might not know their names, maybe some of them come through, but otherwise they'll spend their lives in that team having a good salary, having a good income, but making someone else look great. So into the stage, Jonathan in the Bible or possibly into the unlit corner of the stage. You might have heard of Jonathan in the Bible, you might not, there's actually two of them, but uh, the one I'm gonna speak about now was the son of King Saul. So we're gonna look at him, if you have your Bibles, I would love you to turn to 1 Samuel 14. I am gonna put some of it up there. We're gonna go through a little bit of his life story and it is quite easy to miss. It covers a few chapters in the biblical account. So 1 Samuel 14, Joshua, Judges, 1 Samuel. And if you don't have your Bibles, don't worry. I am going to put it up there. So he was the son of King Saul, um, who was king of Israel at the time. He was obviously heir to the throne. There were another, um, he had another two brothers, um, but he was heir to the throne. He lived in a time when Israel was uh, very weak and was in many respects held captive to the Philistines. So whilst they were there and allowed to exist as a people, they had been incredibly weakened to such an extent that they were not allowed to have blacksmiths amongst them and they had two swords. The Israelite people, a fairly large people, owned and possessed two swords at the time. So one was King Saul's and the other was Jonathan's. That's what they, um, th that's what they possessed at that time. And the way that they were able to continue existing is that the Philistines would let them every now and then take their plowshares and their implements for farming down to get sharpened or sorted out. They'd have to pay a big amount of money to the Philistines to make that happen. And they were able then to sort of continue on their business. So they were really, really pushed down by the Philistines. They were in a difficult place but at the same time, they still kept trying to fight back. So where they were placed, they'd still try and get their little few thousand people together, their army together, and they'd sort of try and stage a war against certain elements of the Philistine people, which obviously was quite difficult when you're fighting with picks and shovels um, against swords and javelins and spears. But they did this time again. So uh, they, 
they had also been a difficult place because um, they were really fragmented. So some of the Israelite people, they say, had actually gone across and started to live with the Philistines and join them to sort of protect themselves. There was another group who, who genuinely were in hiding in the mountains and, and out and about. And then there was the few that were still loyal to the king and loyal to God's call. So they still were performing different military um, events to try and advance. And that's where we pick up the story here. Jonathan has done some work. He's in charge of some elements of the army, but he, um, this is one of his key moments. So we're going to read from uh, one first point, Jonathan the Brave. We're going to read from 1 Samuel 14, 1 to 15. Here we go. That same day, Saul's son Jonathan said to the attendant who carried his weapons. So Jonathan has gone out and he's made an attack. And now the Philistines are angry. So they've sent out these raiding parties all around the Israelites and they're sort of mocking them, camped around them in their different spots. So this is what happens. So uh, the same day, he said to his attendant who carried his weapons, come on, let's cross over to the Philistine garrison on the other side. So they're just sort of in, in, um, in eyesight over there. However, he did not tell his father, uh, which is obviously Saul. Saul was staying under the pomegranate tree in Migron or Migron on the outskirts of Gibeah. The troops with him numbered about 600. Ahijah, who was wearing an ephod, was also there. Another one of the leaders, he was son of Ahitab. The brother of Ichabod, son of Phineas, some tough names, son of Eli, the Lord's priest at Shiloh. But the troops did not know that Jonathan had left. So he heads off just with his attendant, his armor bearer. There were sharp columns of rock on either side of the pass that Jonathan intended to cross to reach the Philistine garrison. One was named Bozes and the other Sena. It's like Don Bashar, Goma Carrera, something like that. One stood to the north in front of Michmash and the other to the south in front of Giba or Jiba. Jonathan said to his attendant who carried his weapons, come on, let's cross over to the garrison of these uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord will help us. Nothing can keep the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. And the armor bearer responds and he says, do what is in your heart. You choose. I'm right here with you, whatever you decide. So this is a fair chunk of people. There's just two of them. Um, but he's like, this is ridiculous. We should not be under oppression from these Philistine people. We need to act and do something with about it. My dad, who's the king, is not really doing much. So I need to step into this place. All right, Jonathan replied. We'll cross over to the men and then let them see us. So wave our arms and say, hey guys, we're here. If they say, wait until we reach you, then we will stay where we are and not go up to them. But if they say, come on up, then we will go up because the Lord has handed them over to us. That will be our sign. So they're kind of throwing out a fleece that some people talk about. He's saying, okay, we're going to say, show ourselves here, guys. Um, and if they call us up, we're going to go and attack. We think that's God speaking to us. If not, we will stay where we are. They let themselves be seen by the Philistine garrison. And the Philistines said, look, can't see around the speaker. Huh. Look, the Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they've been hiding, because a number were hiding. The men of the garrison called uh, to Jonathan and his armor bearer, come on up, we'll teach you a lesson, they said. Follow me, Jonathan told his armor bearer, for the Lord has handed them over to Israel. Jonathan climbed up using his hands and feet with his armor bearer behind him. Jonathan cut them down and his armor bearer followed and finished them off. In that first assault, Jonathan and his armor bearer struck down about 20 men in a half acre field. 
terror spread through the Philistine camp and the open fields to all the troops. Even the garrison and the raiding parties were terrified. The earth shook and terror spread from God. Great story. And it follows on. These guys just started to run. And in fact, King Saul and the rest of the people quite far off just saw absolute chaos in the camp of the Philistine people. And it was this massive victory for them on that day. So Jonathan was courageous. I don't know how many of you, if there was a group of 20 or 30 people versus two of you and you with uh, one sword and, and maybe like a plowshare against uh, 20 of them fully kitted out. I don't know how many, even if you put out a fleece like that, would be game to go for the sake of God and for the sake of this nation that's his people, I'm going up that hill. I'm going up Dombashawa to take down 20 people. I don't know. This guy was courageous. There would have been uh, obviously God helping him, but he was incredibly courageous. He believed God would come through. He stepped out in faith. He started Israel's rise to power again. First step in being God's agent for change or transformation is courage. You're never going to be what God's called you to. You'll never fulfill the purpose that he has for your life without courage. That comes from him. It comes from asking him. For most of us, it won't be charging into battle, but it will be lovingly speaking of Christ to a friend or acquaintance. It will be sharing something powerful on social media or with someone that um, may get you mocked. It will be putting up your hand to leading something and saying yes, even if I'm scared. It might be getting stuck into God's church where you've been hurt before or giving when it's painful and you don't think you have the resources. It's courage, and that's the first step. The Christian life cannot be lived in comfort, ease, or safety. Impossible. Absolutely impossible for you to live out what God's called you to from a place of comfort, ease, and safety. It will take bravery. You won't do it on your own. You're going to need God's help and the help of others, and then go for it. So first step, you're living out God's calling, is bravery. In your sphere of influence, the people that you know, the little tuggings that God puts on your heart of things that he's calling you to do and asking you to do, it's bravery and it's courage, it's stepping into that. So that's the first one. Now Saul is a king who unfortunately lets pride get in the way. He struggles to follow God and eventually that leads to him being rejected by God as king over Israel, his line being rejected. We pick up the story in a bit. So unbeknown to Saul, God appoints a shepherd boy called David as king through a prophet called Samuel. And in time, through being called on to play music for Saul, so David was great at playing music, and through different servants who, who may have known the story, they uh, then said when Saul was feeling distressed and he was being tormented, they said, oh, but there's someone who can fix this for you. There's someone who can help. We know he's great. They called along David. And uh, some of you may have heard of the story of David and Goliath, so, which is well known for. But first he was a musician, and then David, uh, in that place, the Philistines were still attacking he went on to take down the giant Goliath and David becomes known by Saul and Jonathan and I just wonder whether Jonathan's earlier attacks that David would have looked up to and seen he would have heard of I just wonder if maybe that was part something that inspired and encouraged him to take on Goliath seeing and hearing the stories of what Jonathan had done with those Philistines that leads us on to the next one and this is Jonathan the Humble. So he was a brave man. We can learn so much from that. What about his humility? Well, let's read this little passage. So David has just taken down Goliath. 
the armies have run. They've, uh, they've taken out a huge portion of the Philistines. When David had finished speaking with Saul, Jonathan was bound to David in close friendship and loved him as much as he loved himself. Saul kept David with him from that day on and did not let him return to his father's house. Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Then Jonathan removed the robe he was wearing, the prince's robe, and gave it to David, along with his military tunic, his sword, giving away his sword, and there weren't many of those, his bow and his belt. David marched out with the army and was successful in everything Saul sent him to do. Perfect, I have to keep changing. Saul put him in command of the fighting men, which pleased all the people and Saul's servants as well. So Jonathan has this amazing bond. He obviously feels a closeness to David, a close friendship, and he's prepared in many respects to hand over, it hadn't happened yet that David was king, but he was prepared to hand over everything he was entitled to, everything he should have got as prince in line to the throne to hand over to someone else from a different family line. It's a real friendship. You don't get the sense he was handing it over for favors. He really was handing this over. It makes me think of a passage in the Bible. Um, You don't have to turn to it, but it makes me think of Philippians 2. I was looking at this earlier in the day where it talks about Jesus Uh, the king of kings, and it says, he existed the form of God and did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. When he come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. It's amazing how Jonathan mirrored what Jesus did when he stepped down into our lives. He mirrored it by handing over his entitlement and saying, actually, no, I'm gonna pass this on in humility. Makes me think of John the Baptist. John the Baptist, who was the sort of forerunner to Jesus. Some of you may know when when, when he was asked about um, who he was and people were talking about him being so great, he was like, actually, there's one coming who I'm not even worthy enough to untie his sandals. That was a level of humility had pointing to someone else, much like uh, we see in the story. Sarah and I were down for a conference with a great group of churches called Advance a few weeks ago. And what happened is, is uh, the, the person who actually leads Advance, who is in America uh, at the moment, um, has, are, are still waiting for all of their papers and clearance to come through. So right before the conference was to happen, they were blocked and they weren't allowed to travel. So you suddenly had this collective of sort of three or four other leaders from around the world who now suddenly were supposed to be doing talks that someone else was supposed to take and it was quite an interesting week that they had. What was so interesting is the person who was now leading the conference, um, it was coming up to the final day of the conference and obviously so often there's a big build to the final night of the conference and who's gonna talk and this sort of big set. It was just so amazing to see this person who was now leading it say, um, say to someone else, uh, you know, actually, I just feel that my talk doesn't really fit with heading towards the end and so I actually think what I've heard you talk about is an awful lot better for the end, so, so you must take the spot. You must take the lead on this, and it's okay, I'll actually just step out, and I can do a discussion group or something, but you take this on. And it was such a cool picture to me of seeing someone who was like, I've suddenly got this chance of power. I've got this chance to lead the conference and do the final night talk and do all the talks if I want to, but, but actually, no, it fits better for someone else to do it, so, so they're going to. It was a great show of humility to me. It's so easy for us to pursue position, to place expectations on God as to where we should be and what we should accomplish. 
Jonathan was a man so secure in his identity, so secure in what God had called him to, that he was very happy to hand over his position, being heir to the throne. He held it very lightly. How are you handling not being where you think you should? Maybe in business, maybe in social standing, maybe in church, What's your heart reaction toward God and other people when you aren't noticed, when you aren't thanked, when you don't feel you're in the position that you should be? Great challenge for us to be happy to be where God places us. There's a reason why God says he's opposed to the proud. It's so destructive, it's counter Christ in every aspect. And Jonathan showed what it meant to imitate Christ, to act in humility. There have been countless times that uh, God's humbled me in my life in grade four. (laughs) I think he probably started earlier, but grade four was probably the earliest I could remember. I remember sitting outside the classroom and uh, I was, it had been exam time. And I just remember bragging to my friends about how I was going to come first again in uh, in all the exams. And I was just like, well, it happened in grade one and grade two and grade three. So um, I I know the results and and it's going to happen. I'll never forget the teacher walking out. She's been, she was like, oh, Craig, that's um, very interesting. But you do know that uh, you didn't come first. You do know that you got beaten in the subject and the subject in front of the rest of the class. And it was a very humbling time as a grade four. <laughs> I remember this past Sunday, we were at uh, a braai. I'm glad I can remember this past Sunday. That's only a week ago. We were at a braai uh, with, uh, with a group of family friends. And, uh, you know, I, I'm trying to learn this whole Instagram thing. And I'm trying to be cool. And I'm trying to build out my friendships very far from a thousand. Um, and uh, a thousand followers. People aren't really that interested. And so now we just get chatting. And there's this young guy there. He's like first year of university. And uh, I then find out that he's like running the university page. And he's got like 90,000 followers. And he just does these silly memes and they mean nothing and I don't even find them funny and I'm just like this oak has like 89,780 more followers than me and he's just doing nothing important and it was like such such a humbling time um, it was like so humbling and then I think uh, I suppose more on a, an important one I, we, we hosted this or, or I hosted this uh, Unseen Pursuit conference like my heart to see people live uh, in light of eternity and I was just like this was last year I was like this thing is going to be sold out it's just going to be so incredible so I printed off like a thousand tickets because I was just like I am so pumped and I started advertising like months before and I met with all the pastors and I was just like this is going to be huge and I don't like to think that it was arrogant I just really wanted people to to get stuck in but whether there was an element of arrogance or not I did get humbled because on the Friday it was a fair turnout but I was like it's okay it's obviously building you know the turnout's going to get bigger I'm sure it is you know and and after the first night people were like this is incredible oh my goodness we're going to tell our friends so Saturday morning session it was like 40 people and, uh, and inside this auditorium and I was like, Eesh, okay, well, let's just keep going anyway. I'm sure it'll mean a lot. People have flown in to talk, can't cancel on them. And I was like, it's okay because the Saturday night is going to be awesome. And Saturday night there was like, there was at least half of the, I mean, it was, it was quite embarrassing. Um, but the Lord really spoke to people in that process. But it was such a humbling thing. It was such a great challenge for me to go, but why are you doing what you do? And are you doing it for, for numbers? Or are you doing stuff so that people notice? Or are you doing things because you're happy that whoever God brings, God's going to speak to? And, and so God always brings across humbling things in our lives when we need it. Maybe you guys have never had it. I probably need it a lot more than the rest of you. But um, 1 Peter 5 
such a, such a cool little passage. It just says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Such a great picture from Jonathan of being so secure in who God had called him to be and was just happy with that. He wasn't after the limelight. He was happy to hand it over because he knew God was leading that way. So great challenge there. Almost done. These last ones are quick. Jonathan the protector. So David continues to grow in stature. And look at this thing that happens. Saul starts to get more and more jealous and more and more angry. He's the king, but actually everyone's really following David more than him. They're singing songs like, oh, Saul used to kill his thousands, but David kills his ten thousands. And, and this just made Saul more and more angry. So look, eventually Saul ordered his son Jonathan and all his servants to kill David. Saul's supposed to be a godly king. But Saul's son Jonathan liked David very much. So he told him, my father Saul intends to kill you. Be on your guard in the morning and hide in a secret place and stay there. I'll go out and I'll stand beside my father in the field where you are and I'll talk to him about you. When I see what he says, I'll tell you. And so David goes out and and hides and, and Jonathan talks with his dad and his dad is dead set on killing him. But through the next few passages, you see Jonathan as someone who protects David at the risk of him losing his life. So this is a dad who is kind of lost it mentally, who's tormented by evil spirits, and you've got a son who is heir to the throne, who is now telling the father's enemy actively to beware, to run away this time, this is what my dad is doing, places himself in terribly dangerous position for the sake of his friend. He protected him. He protected him. Bringing transformation for Christ will involve looking out for others and protecting the weak and the vulnerable. Particularly in these times in the nation, don't get selfish. Let Christ flow through you. Think about others more than yourselves. Who are those in your life who are under attack or maybe under false attack? Who are those who are just battered down by either the storms of life or maybe they've been falsely accused? Who are those in your circles who God's calling you to step into their lives to protect, to bring a little tent of security around them. What friends are battered and bruised? You know they're just in a tough spot. They're just needing help. They're needing someone to just step in and to protect. Who are those in your life? Jonathan was brilliant at that. In a physical sense, he protected David because he had to. He was a close friend, but he, because of his love for him, he, he needed to, otherwise David was gonna be killed. Probably not the case for most of us, but who is God calling you to defend? Who's he he calling you to stand up with, to stand with and say, I've got your back. I'm here to protect you and what you're going through. Great one. That's what Jonathan did. Second last one. Jonathan was an encourager. And this is probably one of the strongest things that he lived out in, in, in amongst all of his great qualities that we can learn from. David's being chased and he's in hiding. He's in hiding in caves and different cities. Saul is after him. And one really low point, this is what Jonathan does, again at risk of his life. David was in the wilderness in Zip in Horesh when he saw that Saul had come out to take his life. Then Saul's son Jonathan came to David in Horesh and encouraged him in his faith in God, saying, don't be afraid, for my father Saul will never lay a hand on you. You yourself will be king over Israel and I'll be your second in command. Even my father Saul knows it's true. The two of them made a covenant in the Lord's presence. Afterward, David remained in Horish while Jonathan went home. 
amazing picture of someone risking his life, but also such a source of encouragement at a very low time in his friend's life. How are you doing with being an encourager? How are you doing at speaking words to people that bring life and hope and push them into what God has called them to? How are you doing with friendships in general? Listen, friends, Christ followers should have no problems with friendships. Honestly, we should have no problems with friendships, especially amongst Christ followers, but also, I think, outside in society. If you're following Christ, the outworking will be humility in your life. It'll be peace. It'll be kindness. It'll be a servant heart. The fruit of the Spirit will begin to overflow, and that will automatically be attractive to people. It will be. You may be mocked. You may be attacked when it comes to actually following Christ. So there may be a bit of that that happens in your life. That's persecution. That can happen. But in terms of general friendships in your life, we shouldn't struggle with those. It shouldn't be a struggle. Yes, we all do friendships differently. We've got different personalities. We've got different characteristics. Some of us may be friends with many. Some of us may be friends with few. Some of us may, be, may take longer to be known. Some of us may more wear our hearts on our sleeves. So those will be different but we shouldn't be struggling in friendships. I really don't believe it. So what do you do if you are struggling? What do you do if you're sitting today and you're going, but I, I just honestly, I struggle to count anyone who I think is a friend. I struggle to connect. I struggle to know if I, I really have a friend. What should we do? Well, firstly, it probably isn't all the other people's fault. The tendency is when we're struggling with friends is to just go, there is such a problem with everyone else in society. It's definitely not me. <laughs> The problem is definitely other people. That's probably not true. It's probably not true. It's probably a case of looking inwards. That's, that's usually the case. So analyze your life. Ask someone you trust about the words that you speak, about what you like to be around, and take what they say to heart. Now that's going to be a scary thing for the person who's answering you. So if you walk up to someone who you know, whether it's a husband or wife or friend, and you're just like, hey, listen, I just want you to be honest. Do you think I'm a good friend? Now that's a scary place for them to be because either they say, mm, I actually don't think you're a good friend and then it blows up and it's horrific. It's, if it's a husband or wife, it can destroy the marriage. So if you're gonna ask someone and honestly wanna grow in your friendship and be an encourager like Jonathan was, be a source of friendship, what you need to do is you just need to go, I'm asking you this, I want you to tell me the truth and I promise from the bottom of my heart, I will think of you the same in this process. If you're struggling, ask them that. Ask them that. I long to see church and our church family at Harvest and beyond as an immense source of friendships. I don't want to see anyone left out. I don't want to see anyone struggling for friendships for any possible reason. And so I want you to take this seriously. I want us to be full of Jonathan-like characters, each of us, to be encouragers of others. Because when we're needing encouragement, then there's going to be a huge source of that coming our way. But I, I so want us to grow in this area of friendships. But it will take work. It will take humility. It will take honesty. That was David and Jonathan, and I've no doubt it happened through Jonathan's kindness and encouragement. The final one, as I close. Ah, sorry, I forgot to do the yellow. Jonathan, the completer. The Philistines fought against Israel, and Israel's men fled from them. This was another attack that happened and were killed on Mount Gibeah. The Philistines pursued Saul and his sons. He killed his sons, Jonathan, Abinadab, and Malkishua in the battle. Jonathan died honoring his dad, who wasn't necessarily the best dad, 
and the country Israel that God had called them to honor, never faltering in bravery and humility. And such was the impact that he had on David's life that David closes off his account of Jonathan. We see it a few verses later by saying his love was extraordinary. Jonathan had a five-year-old son who was born. He was crippled. And when the Philistines attacked and Jonathan was killed, the, the, the maid picked up, um, the carer picked up the baby, started sprinting, and the baby fell um, and actually was completely lame as a result. She brought um, a Fibosheth to David, and David took him in as his son for the rest of his life. Such was the friendship that those two experienced. David went on to become one of the greatest kings, and I've no doubt that it would never have happened without the role that Jonathan played in his life. Jonathan was completely happy to play the supporting role in the play. He was a frontline man who was able to step aside and move to the back seat. He didn't say, why David and not me, God? Hey, come on, God. I should be fulfilling David's role. But rather, how could he play his part to the best of his ability? And Jonathan, in so many ways, is such a great type. We call it in the scripture of John the Baptist. He had a large following, but he realized that he needs to step aside for someone else. In John's case, it was Jesus Christ, the one we're all ultimately serving. Once we realize, like Jonathan, that everything we have is a gift from Jesus anyway, it allows us to live out our purpose and to help others do the same in security, in integrity, in confidence. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I just want to thank you for these amazing characters, these hidden heroes in scripture who, who were so confident in who you'd called them to be that they were willing to step aside from the position that they could have demanded or could have gone after. They were willing to fulfill the call in their lives, even if it meant they were never noticed. I pray for us as a people. I pray for us as harvest. Um, I pray for us in our different spheres of influence and families and businesses and connections with Christ followers and people who don't yet know Christ. I pray that we would be people who walk so closely with you that we imitate Jonathan's character in so many ways, that we act in bravery, that we act in humility, that we are protectors of those who need help and who need support and who need encouragement. Lord, that we are encouragers. I ask that the words that we speak would bring life and life in abundance to all that we come into contact with. I ask that we would overflow with friendships, that if there's areas that we need to deal with in our lives, if there's things in our lives that are pushing people away, that we'd, we'd work at those, we'd submit those to you, we'd let you work through those, that we would abound in friendships in this church and beyond. And I ask ultimately that as we walk with you, that we would faithfully complete what you've called us to, as Jonathan did, as John the Baptist did. We'd be men and women who pursue you with everything. We live out our purpose. And as a result, we'll see transformation in everyone we come into contact with in the fabric of society. It's my prayer that would happen. I know with your help, Holy Spirit, that will happen. In your powerful name we pray. Amen.